again. It's good to see you. I'll try that again. Good morning. morning. All right. We awake? We good? I know it's dreary out there, right? It's like you don't want Mother's Day to be like this. You're thinking, man, I got a grill out in this. How many of you guys are thinking, oh, how are we going to do this? But it is a, it's good to be in the house of the Lord. It is good to open up God's word. And we trust, and I trust, whether it's me or somebody else up here or I'm visiting another church, that when the word of God is open, the Lord shows up. Amen? It's not a promise that we get from the man who's giving the word. The promise comes from the, from the one who wrote the word. And so we are in Acts to today. Also, uh, I think I said this Happy Mother's Day. We have a flower for all the ladies in the room. So whether you're a mother or not, we'd love to bless you with a flower. So be sure to grab that. We'll have that out here. Uh, but we are in the book of Acts, starting chapter 2 today. This is our third week in. We've given it the theme, as you see on the screen. Well, we've given it the theme, to the end of the earth. Acts 1-8 is the is the the big picture of what the book of Acts is about, where Jesus promises the disciples that he will give the promised Holy Spirit to them and they will be his witnesses to the end of the earth. And we know that we are fulfilling that promise too. We have been given the Spirit in order to take the gospel to the end of the earth. So there's a lot to cover today, so I'm just going to jump right in. So follow along with me. We're going to start Acts 2 right there in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the other parts of Libya, belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They are filled with new wine. Let's pray this morning. Father, thank you for the word that you've given us this morning. We thank you for the promised Holy Spirit that you gave 2,000 years ago. And we thank you for the spirit that dwells in each of us who have repented and placed our faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, you have given us a great power. And so, Lord, I pray that we would be encouraged. I pray that we would be challenged this morning. I pray that your spirit would do mighty works through these ordinary men and women in this room, such as myself. Lord, would you open up our eyes to see your word. Open our hearts to perceive what we need to perceive. And, Lord, I pray that you would penetrate us. And I pray that you would allow us to leave change. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. 
So if you're a title person, you like titles, the titles of the message this morning is the transforming work of the Holy Spirit in a man. The transforming work of the Holy Spirit in man. And so the spirit that Jesus promised the disciples is finally showing up on the scene here. And so there's lots of background things that I want to go through before we really get into the main points. Uh, First of all, we see that they are gathered on the day of Pentecost. So in other words, all these Jews were gathered together in Jerusalem and they were celebrating the Feast of Pentecost. Another thing, that they, another word that they called was, the, was called the Feast of Weeks. Now you see that word Pentecost, it means 50. So this was 50 days or like almost seven weeks past Passover. Now you remember when Jesus was crucified, they were celebrating Passover. And many of the same Jews were hanging out in, this, in Jerusalem during this time of Pentecost. And so this was a big deal. There was lots of people gathered around in Jerusalem. It says Jews from all over were gathered to celebrate the feast of Pentecost. Now, one thing to know about Pentecost is also a time that they celebrated the anniversary of when the law was given to Moses. It was given to the Jewish nation on Mount Sinai. That was a huge day for the Jews. But do you remember what the people did while Moses was receiving the word on Mount Sinai? Do you remember what they did? He's meeting with God. Having this amazing thing, he comes down the hill, and lo and behold, they're like wondering, did Moses die? Did God strike him dead? Well, Aaron, that's Moses' brother, Aaron, we need something to worship. And so he, Moses is like, what's going on? What is this golden calf? Well, Aaron had taken the gold that the people gave and made this calf. And what he said is, I just threw it in the fire, and out comes this calf. And they were worshiping the calf. And then what did Moses do with the law? He slammed it and broke it into pieces, and God had to bring it to him again. But this was a big day for the Jews as they remembered when the law was given. But we know on this side of eternity that the law made no difference in man, did it? The law has no power to change us and to conform us to the image of his son. It was a picture of the promise that was to come. And that's the promise of the Holy Spirit that we see here in Acts 2. But this Pentecost, this was the best yet. This was a Pentecost that would have an eternal difference in everyone who would place their faith in Christ. And now today, we know Pentecost... Probably when you think of Pentecost, if you're like me, I think of the day when the Spirit was poured out on the disciples here in Acts 2. Look at verse 2. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. So notice, they're, they're gathered together. They don't know when the Spirit's coming. Jesus said, just wait. Wait in Jerusalem, and the Spirit will come. And so they had no idea when it was coming, and it came suddenly. They're together, and it came suddenly. Notice, too, that the Spirit, it came like the sound of wind. It wasn't wind. It's the sound of wind. And it was whirling around them. The Spirit was being poured out on his people. Notice, too, when you look at the scriptures, how is the Spirit often referred to as? A wind, right? 
It was the sound of wind that filled this entire room. Interesting, Jesus compared the Holy Spirit to wind in John 3, 8, if you look at that at your own time. But it wasn't actual wind, it was the sound. And then verse 3, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. So here we have these divided tongues. Notice it wasn't fire, it was as of fire. Another interesting thing, as you look at the Old Testament, who was often symbolized with fire? God, right? Remember at the burning bush, Moses saw the burning bush and and God spoke through that. And the the spirit was being poured out on the people. (laughs) And for each of these acts of God, Luke has no understanding of how to put it in proper perspective because it's like wind but it's not quite wind it's like fire but it's not quite like fire and that's God right we can't fully describe who God is we can't put him in a box and say this is exactly how God is we just describe him because we are limited in our words that we can use to describe the glory and the beauty of God notice what happened they were filled with the Holy Spirit Verse 4, and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Was this something that they did on their own? No, this was the Spirit that gave him utterance. And tongues, that word tongues can be translated languages. They They weren't speaking gibberish here. They were speaking real legitimate languages. These were real languages that people spoke in the time. Sometimes you look at the scriptures, and I've been a part of churches where they're, they're saying their tongues, but it's this language that is un, unrecognizable. But here, these people, the disciples, they are speaking in real languages. Now, there is much debate on deciding who the them is. Like, who, who are the ones that are speaking in tongues? There's some... There's some uh, misunderstanding or there's just some confusion and there's differences of opinion. So some people think it's the whole 120 who spoke in tongues. And then there are others who hold that it was the 12. And so I, I tend to think it's the 12 disciples. Here's why. At the end of verse chapter 1, who is being talked about here? This is when the 12, the 11 gather together and they choose the 12th disciple. So it's speaking specifically of the 12 and there's no chapter breakdowns. When Luke wrote this, he didn't write chapter 1, verse 1. <laughs> That's not how it worked. It was a whole letter and there was no breakdowns. And so when they put the scriptures together, they broke it down into these chapters. But this is one continuous flow. So I tend to believe that this was this the 12 who received this gift of tongues. And it's an important question for us to answer as well, is why? Why did they speak in tongues? What was the purpose for them to do this? Was, was this proof that they had received the Holy Spirit? Was this like an act for every believer? So once we come to Christ, the first thing we do is speak in tongues. Like, what are we to understand about this speaking in tongues things? And there's lots of confusion on this, isn't there? Lots of divisions in the church about what this means. Well, let me just give you what I think it means for them speaking in tongues. As, as we look at the whole book of Luke, of Acts, we're going to see several times where tongues takes place. But here's the thing. It always comes in a place where the disciples are authenticating the message that they're about to share. It is them proving that they are from God. And it was a new 
form of salvation. It's a new wave of salvation that was coming. A few references that we'll get to eventually. First of all, we have here where specifically the, the tongues are being given to the Jews. In chapter 8, verse 17, it, it happens with the Samaritans. And then in chapter 10, verse 44, it's given to the Gentiles. These were new works of salvation that were taking place. And so they spoke in tongues to authenticate the fact that their message came directly from God. And it could be trusted. I think we also need to spend a couple minutes to explain the difference between baptism of the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Holy Spirit. There's a lots of confusion here about, well, you need to be baptized with the Spirit. You need to keep being baptized with the Spirit. But as we look all throughout scriptures and you look at even water baptism, there's some, symbol, there's some symbolism between water baptism and spiritual baptism. I think we can understand what does it mean to be baptized in the Spirit. First of all, this idea of being baptized is a once-only thing. We don't have these different moments where all of a sudden we get baptized with the Spirit. The baptism of the Spirit happens at the moment of repentance. At the moment that we come to salvation in Christ, that's when we are baptized with the Holy Spirit. Think of it this way. Did John, John the Baptist who came before Jesus and Jesus himself, did they say, hey, you need to continually be water baptized? <laughs> Is that what happened? No, at the point of their salvation, at the point of their repentance, they were baptized. We'll look at, at Philip here who meets the eunuch. And the eunuch gets saved and he's like, why shouldn't I be baptized? And so they baptize him right there. And for us, water baptism doesn't save us, but rather it's a public proclamation that we have been rescued by God. And the baptism of the Spirit is the proof for us. It's the affirmation that God's Spirit, God has rescued us. And we know we have the Spirit because we are changed forever. So baptism of the Spirit happens at the point of salvation. We don't get baptized at other points of our life. It happens at the point of salvation. So what does being filled with the Spirit, because that's what it says here. What is the difference between being filled with the Spirit? In fact, you look at Ephesians 5.18, we're not going to do that, but it calls us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Nowhere in Scripture do we say, hey, be, filled, be baptized by the Holy Spirit. But we do see this command to be filled by the Holy Spirit. This is something that we can do. So what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? In essence, it means this. It means being filled with joy that comes from God. Being filled with joy that comes from God. This is not something that we just get zapped at while we're watching Netflix and hanging out somewhere. This is something that we pursue. We pursue the Lord. At salvation, we are baptized with the Spirit. But from that point on, we have the responsibility to be filled with the Spirit. Let me explain it this way. You guys ever use rechargeable batteries? You get them charged up. You put them in the the charger, and then you use them, what happens as you use the batteries? They die, right? Like They gradually lose power, and then when it comes to the point where they're no longer working, you put it back in the charger to be refilled, right? It's being filled with more energy. That's the same concept for us with the, with the Lord. If we want to see the Spirit move in our lives, we have to stay connected to Him. We have to recharge. And the more we continually pursue the Lord, the more we will be filled with the Lord. Now, we shouldn't think that we would speak in tongues. Now, just an just a honest confession, I don't fully understand tongues. 
there's this idea, maybe you've heard of cessationists versus continuists. Like a cessationist believed that the tongues have, have, have done away with, like we have the completed scriptures and we no longer need that. A continuous would say, and this is all across the board, would say like the gifts of the Spirit still exist. You can still speak in tongues. And so I come to the point as I've studied scripture to where I would call myself a, a, caution, a, a, a cautious continuist. Like I'm not going to say the Spirit doesn't move in power. Like, just for instance, I know of Muslim stories of, of people who are Muslims who they have dreams and they are, have a dream of meeting somebody and they tell them about this Jesus and then they find somebody who tells them about Jesus in real life. Like, to me, that is a work of the Holy Spirit. And I don't want to put God in a box, but I would just be honest and say I don't fully understand. But I, what I can tell you is this, is being filled with the Spirit doesn't mean we have some supernatural experience where it means we're going to speak in tongues or we're going to prophesy and, and predict the future. But being filled with the Spirit means that we are connected to the Lord. We understand his promises. They're living through us so that we interpret the things that happen to us through the word of God. So that when trials come, we're not surprised because we look at scripture and it says, do not be surprised at the fiery trials or something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in that you suffer as Christ suffered. You may not never, you will never know that scripture. You will never know the promises of God if you aren't connected. If you aren't recharging in the word on a daily basis. If you aren't pursuing God in prayer. Don't think that God is going to use you. And, it's, and let me just say this. It's his grace. When I find myself depleted of energy, often it's because I have not been charged to the source that I need to be charged to. And often I look and realize, man, when's the last time I've really dug into the word of God and pursued him through prayer? You want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, read your Bible. Seek the Lord. Ask him for understanding. Baptism of the Spirit happens at the point of salvation. We are given his spirit. He dwells in us. Being filled with the Spirit is that ongoing practice that we have of pursuing God it is our command given to us to be filled, be in the word. All right, that is all introductory. we got a long way to go still. Here is point number one. <laughs> the work of the Holy Spirit leaves us changed. The work of the Holy Spirit leaves us changed. All that was necessary because as we go through Acts, we're going to see tongues. And I'll come back and I'll... When we get to those points again, I'll kind of re-highlight some of the things we talked to. But I think it's important for us to understand those things so that we aren't confused. But let's look again at verses 1 through 4. The work of the Holy Spirit leaves us changed. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Those who were meeting in this room after this experience were forever changed after receiving the Holy Spirit. They didn't just receive a get out of hell free card. Like sometimes we come to Christ, some people come to Christ and they're just like, I don't want to go to hell. So yeah, I'll take Jesus. And then they kind of go about their lives and nothing is different. For these disciples who have repented and believed and received the Holy Spirit, their lives were forever changed. And the same is true for us. The course of their life 
was different. And for the Christian, it's not about what happens on the outside as much as what happens on the inward transformation. It's what happens in our hearts. It's what takes place inside that affects the whole person. Do you remember the Pharisees and what Jesus had said about them? The Pharisees, they, I mean, they, they had it all together on the outside. They were following the law. They knew the law very well to the T. But Jesus called them whitewashed tombs. Why? Because outwardly they were doing what they needed to do. They looked good on the outside, but inwardly their hearts were far from God. They had hearts of stone. And the law could not do what the whole, only the Holy Spirit can do. Change us from the inside out. But in the life of a believer, the Holy Spirit comes and he changes our desires. He puts away the desires of sexual immorality, of idolatry, of jealousy, of outbursts of anger. And in their place, he puts the fruit of the Spirit. As Christians, we love. We have joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. God takes the believer and changes and transforms him forever different. Never going back to the life they lived. Year by year, we look back and realize, man, I've come further along towards Jesus than I was back then. The Holy Spirit changes us. The Holy Spirit transforms us. And so we have to ask ourselves, do I see a difference in my life from the rest of the world? When I observe Jesus and what he looks like, is there evidence in my life that the Holy Spirit is working where I am seeing that fruit of the Spirit in my life? Where I have a distaste for the things of this world, for sexual immorality, for jealousy, idolatry, outbursts of anger. It doesn't mean that we're perfect, right? Like it doesn't mean that we go through week to week and we just like become these awesome people that never mess up and always treat our spouses like we should, always raise our kids in the admonition of the Lord, always consistent on everything we say. It's not about perfection, but there is progress that happens. God even promised that he who began a good work in us, who began the good work? He who began it, which is Jesus, will bring it to completion. And so we should be seeing progress in our life. Do you see progress? Do you see the work of the Holy Spirit changing you? More and more to look like Jesus. If not, then you need to ask yourself, have you really truly repented? Because for every person who truly has, God has given his spirit who is making us new. The work of the Holy Spirit leaves us changed. Look at verse 5. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, and at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Because of the Jewish festivities that were taking place, there were Jews from all nations everywhere, it says, gathering together in one place. What a coincidence, right, that the Holy Spirit is being poured out on the disciples when all these other Jews were gathered here. That ain't no coincidence. God was beginning to fulfill the promise that they would be his disciples to the end of the earth. God 
is sovereign. And these Jews, they hear the sound. They hear this wind, and they're wondering, what is going on in that place? And they come and gather around to see what's happening, and they are blown away because they are hearing multiple languages being spoken. Each of their own languages, they are hearing these people speak. And here's what I pull from that. The work of the Holy Spirit in us will be seen by others. The work of the Holy Spirit in us will be seen by others. When we are filled with the Holy Spirit, when we are pursuing God in his word, when we are spending time with him in prayer, those around us will notice a difference. It doesn't mean they're going to be like, hey, you're awesome. They may hate you more. Right? They hated Jesus. And Jesus said, if they hate me, they're going to hate you. But they will notice a difference. Some will be jealous. They'll be like, how how dare you? You're such a show-off being so nice. (laughs) You ever have that? I've had that. I'm like, why are you so nice? I'm like, I don't know. Like, I'm, I'm a dirty, rotten sinner, and God's rescued me from my sin, and I don't deserve it. It's not because I'm trying to impress you. It's because how could I not be forgiving in light of Christ's forgiveness for me? The work of the Holy Spirit in us will be seen by others. The way you carry yourself, the way you treat others, it's different. Instead of harboring bitterness, we, we offer forgiveness. Instead of always demanding justice, you, we sometimes choose to just forbear and look past it. And when evil is done to you, you respond with good. When you disagree with someone, you don't just blast them with some argument, but you look to speak the truth in love. There is a radicalness in the lives of those who live by the Spirit of God. Are these things characteristics of what you see in the world? The cancel culture that we have. Oh, you, I mean, this is, this is kind of what gets me really frustrated. Even in the Christ, amongst Christians. Like, oh, well, you know what? So-and-so said this 25 years ago, and so he's done. <laughs> like, is that not ridiculous? How many of you have things that you regret that you did several years ago? How many of you do not want to be held accountable for what you did? And yet, that's what we do. That's what the world does. But for Christians, we are different. Jesus has looked at our past sins, and because of his sacrifice on the cross, and through our repentance and placing our faith in him, he wipes it clean. To where Jesus isn't going to come up and say, well, you you remember what you did 10 years ago? Satan does that, right? Comes into you and reminds you, oh, you are so pathetic. You're doing this again for the umpteenth millionth time. Happy Mother's Day. Give me a break. You're the worst mother that exists. You ever feel that, moms? And yet Jesus, when he looks at us, he declares us, he's already declared us innocent. But the work of the Holy Spirit is seen in us. And so, again, we ask ourselves, are others able to see a difference in my life? Those you work with. Do you work in a hostile environment where things are rough and hard? And you're not treated very well, and most people aren't. And it would just be so easy to join in on the critique and the criticism of the boss instead of taking time to pray for them. Do people see a difference at your workplace? Do they notice that, man, he's not just about, like, screwing everybody else and trying to get, be the top dog and doing whatever he can to get there. But he's doing it with integrity. God honors those who live in integrity. We live different lives because of the Spirit's work in us. Do 
people see a difference in your life? Does your family see evidences of God's grace working in you? Parents, ask your kids, hey, what is important to mom and dad? Ask them, like, do you think we're consistent in our faith? I mean, our kids know that we are far from perfect parents, but we try to do our best to go to them often and ask forgiveness for Forgive us for treating you that way. I should never have responded that way. Even if you deserved it, like I should not have responded that way. Do your kids see an authentic Christ-like parent? Not a perfect one, but somebody who's pursuing Christ. I think of the analogy like this. If, if you were to go before a judge this week who was looking to convict you of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence in your life to find you guilty of being a Christ follower? The work of the Holy Spirit in us will be seen by others. Martin Luther said this, we are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. So this is not about doing works to earn salvation, but rather, like what Martin Luther is saying is like, we are saved by faith alone. We're not saved by our good works. However, that genuine saving faith will never be alone. There will be evidences of it by the way that we live our lives. And others will be able to see it. Look at verse 7. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. Here's what we see here. The Holy Spirit does extraordinary work through ordinary people. The Holy Spirit does extraordinary work through ordinary people. So they're hearing their own language. They draw closer. And I don't know if they're actually seeing them do this or they just hear like a Galilean accent, you know, kind of like a southern accent. You kind of know even if they're, you know, they're not from around here. <laughs> I don't know what the case is, but they know these guys are from Galilee, like, there's nothing impressive that comes from Galilee. These aren't, like, the professors at the local college who are brilliant and smart. These are simple Goshen people. <laughs> people out in the country. How in the world are they going to be able to speak these languages? And yet we are hearing it. Very simple people. I don't know about you, but I'm a simple person. Very ordinary. Unimpressive. Ask my kids. They'll let you know how unimpressive I am. <laughs> But that's the beauty of it. God does extraordinary things through ordinary people. Turn, keep, keep your finger here, but turn to 1 Corinthians 1 with me for a second. Let's just kind of see what God says about ordinary people and what he does. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we're going to look at verse 26. God has something for us to understand of how he uses people. And let me just warn you. If you walk out of here impressed with yourself, you are missing the whole point. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 26 says this. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. 
Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. That goes against everything of what the world stands for. Everything of what the world strives for is completely opposite to that. (laughs) And as I look at that for my own life, I think God is like this. Ben, I'm going to use the weak, the lowly, the foolish to shame the wise, and you're my guy. (laughs) Doesn't really quite stir pride, does it? I don't walk out thinking, man, I am the man that God made me the pastor of a church. He's, no, he's like, I'm going to choose the, the lowly and the meek and the weak. Why? Because when God chooses to use the weak, he gets all the glory. If we were all impressive people and we do impressive things, guess who gets the glory? We do. But if he chooses and we understand, this is, this is not about whether or not there are people legitimately who have a great resume. This is about understanding what our resume looks like before Christ. And our resume looks like this. We're all guilty. We are all separated from God because of our sin. There's nothing that any of us can do to make ourselves right with God. We could be the best businessmen in the world. We could be giving money to millions of organizations. But if our hearts are far from God, it means nothing. And if we aren't doing everything to the glory of God, then we are missing everything. God uses the weak. I'll never forget Isaac, my son, when he played baseball when he was about eight years old. Uh, He played in this league, had a great coach, just a fun team. It's just one of those... Just one of those years, I don't know if you, if you have kids in athletics where you just kind of have a fun connection with the parents too. Just a fun year. They weren't the best team, but it was just a, a fun time. And it came point to the tournament, and it was a double elimination. And there was this team that just kind of dominated the whole season. I mean, just kind of 10-run rule to everybody. It wasn't even close. And come tournament time, Isaac doesn't play this team, but he plays another team. And they lose the first game. And we're thinking, okay, this is going to be over quick. But, hey, you know what? It's been a great year. But lo and behold, they just keep winning. And they keep winning. And we had like a week full, I don't know how many games, 10 games or so, that felt like they played. And, it, and they made it all the way to the championship. And they are facing Goliath, this team that had not lost a single game. I mean, this team cheated to get there. Like the way they did is they told their, all the kids, hey, he's like, hey, don't have your kids go to tryout because then the other coaches will see you and draft you and then we'll draft you. Like that's the way this team drafted their team. And so they stacked it. And so, regardless, it was like, you know what, we had a fun time. And so we're like, they're going to get waxed, but hey, it's been a great year. What a great run, guys. You went as far as you could go. And the first game against this great team, lo and behold, I mean, Isaac's team just like on fire. Hitting everything. The other team can't do anything right. And I think they actually 10-run ruled them. They smoked them. And it was like, what just happened? Well, like, there's no way they're going to make it to the second, second game. Because we already lost one. They hadn't lost any. And in between the game, the coaches are yelling at the kids. The kids are crying. I mean, it's an ugly scene. And we're just thinking, there's no way they're going to beat them twice. Lo and behold, the unknown happens where this little tiny baseball team that lost the first game of the tournament beats Goliath twice to win the championship. It was amazing. But, you know, so often we, we, can, we could take the 
opportunity to say, you know what, I'm just nothing. And it's just, I'll just do the best I can, but God's not going to really use me for anything. So I'm just going to sit in the pew, come to church, and then I'm going to walk out because what can God do for me? And I've said this, I feel like a broken record, but I'm going to say it again because I think we need to hear it. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in every believer. Do you hear that? The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. The same spirit that took the gospel from little Jerusalem to the end of the earth dwells in us. The problem is, is we get so focused on ourselves and we get so focused on our weaknesses, myself included. And what does that do that keeps us from moving forward in our life? But what God's word says is that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which, by the way, he prepared for us to do to walk in in advance. He's the one that prepared the good works. We're just called to be faithful. The promise is we're not being filled by the spirit because we're not opening up God's word. If we would just seek the Lord while he may be found, that we would understand our desperation, that we would seek the Lord in prayer, that we wouldn't be able to have enough seats when we have a prayer meeting because we realize we are desperate for God to work. And the more we are filled by the Spirit, the more he will do extraordinary work through ordinary people. Don't let your own weakness get in the way. Jesus likes weak things. <laughs> Can I get an amen for that? What's preventing you? What's preventing you from getting out of your chair and doing something for the glory of God? What's preventing you from speaking up at work and saying, guys, this is enough. I understand it's a rough environment, but let's stop tearing each other apart. God wants to use you. If he has rescued you from your sin, his spirit dwells in you. These were simple men who ran from Jesus 50 days earlier. All of them. Fishermen. No kind of theological background that would be, we would be impressed by. And yet, they took the gospel to the end of the earth. And God is calling you to do that as well. The next thing, look at the end of verse 11. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Here's what we see. The work of the Holy Spirit points to God. The work of the Holy Spirit points to God. Why did God give us his spirit? Did he give us his spirit so that we would just have a peaceful life? I mean, that, that's certainly not primary, but certainly we find peace. Did God give us his spirit so that, that we would thrive in this world, that we would just be able to survive and make it to the end? Well, certainly that's part of it, but that's not the main thing. What's the main reason why God gives us his spirit? It's so that we will point to God. We exist for the glory of God. Our mission statement as a church is we live to glorify God by making disciples. It's all about God's glory. You ever read the book Full Moon Rising? Fool, I'm sorry, Full Moon Rising. You ever heard of that book? Uh, it's, about, it's a kid's book, and the, the moon is very arrogant and prideful person. Uh, well, he's a moon. Prideful moon. And he's like, look at how bright I am. I light up the sky every night. I mean, I am amazing. When you're... When it's dark and you need a light, all you got to do is look to me and look how amazing I am. But by the end of the story, 
he has been told that, hey, Moon, I hate to break it to you, but that light that's, that you are shining is actually not you. You're actually reflecting the light of the sun. And it crushed him until he realized, wait, what a greater thing to live for, not for me, but I get to live to point to another. Right? Are you more like the moon? Or are you, acting, are you like the foolish moon who thinks it's all about you and look how amazing I am? Or are you just looking to reflect everything back to God? Are you looking to reflect everything back to the Son? Because he is the one who is worthy of that. Matthew 5, 16 says this. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We are to do good works, but it's not to say, look at us. It's so that we can give glory to God. Man, how can you respond that way? It's only because of God's grace. How can you work with such integrity? Because of God's grace. Man, you could have made extra money if you would have just lied about that. Nope, God's grace in my life. When it comes to the way you live, are you living for yourself? Do you strive after advancements at work so that you can feel good about yourself? Or are you striving to work hard at work because you just want God to be glorified? Shouldn't Christians be the best employees in all the world because of what God has done for us? Your workplace is a platform for you to display the glory of God. you realize that? Well, I just work in a grocery store. How... how it, we've gotten to the point, like, when I, when I, I always think this way. Like, I think if I was a business owner, and I go through, like, like McDonald's and things like that, like, some of the, what we call lower jobs, and when I find somebody that is so friendly, does it not just, like, make your day? And don't you just, like, I always dream, like, man, I would offer them a job right now if I could. Uh, so much grumpiness, and when you just encounter somebody, even at a grocery store, if that's what your job is, like, you can do that for the glory of God, and it makes a difference in people's lives. It's different when I go through the drive-thru and the people are actually friendly and they actually seem like they care. This, the Taco Bell on 33 is amazing. It's so friendly. And you're like, Taco Bell, why would you, are you even saved that you go to Taco Bell? But that's a different sermon. We'll talk about it later. But every time I go there, I just want to, like, call them and say, thank you. Like, thank you. You care about your job and I feel loved. Whatever your simple job is, you are there to reflect back to the Father. Look at verse 12. Last point here, I promise. I might go on for 20 minutes, but hey, it's the last point. <laughs> and all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. Here's what we see. The work of the Holy Spirit will be received by some and rejected by others. The work of the Holy Spirit will be received by some and rejected by others. I don't know about you, but if you've ever shared the gospel and no, they haven't repented, it can be kind of a heavy thing. And you're second-guessing yourself. Man, did I, did I give the gospel clear enough? Was I too strong? Did I make it too difficult? And what I just have to come to realize is that, you know what, some people are going to reject Christ and some people are going to receive him. But it's not for us to decide what the person that we want to talk to, what we think the outcome of that conversation is going to be. We plant, we water, but who gets the growth? God gives the growth. 
We're not going to be measured by how many people come to Christ because of us sharing. We're going to be measured by us being faithful. It's about faithfulness, not fruitfulness. Are you being faithful to carry the message, trusting that God is going to move? Listen, you're going to encounter people, you're like, there is no way in all of creation that this person will ever come to salvation. There is no way God can rescue them. Somebody like Paul in the Bible who was killing Christians, there's no way they could be saved. And we share the gospel with them thinking that was pointless. And to our amazement, they repent and believe. There are others that we have these deep conversations with. They seem like they are right on the cusp of repenting and believing. I mean, they're asking good questions. They're really thinking deeply on this. We think, man, they're going to repent and believe. And then to our astonishment, they never do. I think the point of this is just to rest in the fact that we are called to be faithful to God. We're not called to save anybody. And that can trip us up because then we're like, what's wrong with you? I just gave the greatest news. What in the world is wrong with you? And God is saying it's not for you to decide that. The fact that you repented and believe is a miracle. And so I say that to take the pressure off of yourself. You can't convince anyone to come to Christ. The Holy Spirit has to do that. Because the Holy Spirit did it for you. But let that lead us to pray and ask God for us to be faithful. That we would open our mouths to share the good news of Jesus Christ. In closing, when God rescues us, a major work of God takes place. The Holy Spirit changes believers forever. That change will be seen by others. And that gives us the opportunity to remember that the Holy Spirit's work in us is meant to produce in us the desire to reflect glory back to God. It's all about him. And we just pray that God would use our lives to be an example of Jesus to a world that so desperately needs to see it. And we trust that God will take the message of salvation and and do what he will do. Holy Spirit is in the business of transforming lives. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the work that you do in us. I pray, I pray that you would help us all to recount, Lord, do we see a change in us? Are we different? Do people see it in us? Or am I living a different life on Sundays than I do at work? Lord, am I reflecting Christ in every single thing we do? Your word says that whether we drink or whether we eat or whatever we do, let it all be to the glory of God. Lord, if there are those here who are fooling themselves and there is no difference now than they were 20 years ago when they accepted you, would you convict them of their sin? Would you show them their false ways and would you grant them repentance? Oh, what a glorious thing when you take somebody who thought they were saved and you open their eyes and then you free them from all the legalism and all the garbage that they've been dealing with and to finally be truly free. Lord, who the sun sets free is free indeed. God, I pray that we would be lights that shine and reflect your glory. That when people see our good works, we don't stick up our chest, but rather we point up our fingers and say, it's all to the glory of God. I am only here because of God's grace. Any success I have in this world is only because of his goodness. 
And Lord, keep us from getting so distracted with the things of this world. I pray that we would continually, regularly be filled with the Spirit, Lord, by pursuing you in your word, by knowing your promises, by hiding your word in our hearts that we might not sin against you. God, we need your spirit to move in us. I pray that you would move your spirit through this church, that we would be beacons of light to the, to the world, that we would take the good news wherever you call us to take it, whether it's across the room in our own homes, across the street in our own neighborhoods, across the desk at our workplaces, across the desk in our schools, or to the other side of the world. God, remind us that we have been given your spirit for one purpose, to glorify you and to take your name to the end of the earth. Thank you that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. This is his holy name we pray. Amen. Well, so good to have you gather with us today. Uh, again, just want to remind you, if you want to get your picture taken, whether you're a mom or not, I don't care. If you need, like, you need a photo to, I don't know, for something, do it. You get, there's a lot of extended family here. Throw them all in there. We'll figure out how to fit them in there. Just around in the corner to the left. Uh, be sure to do that. We'll take whatever time you need to do that. I know it's Mother's Day and you might have some things to do, but, I mean, the, the weather's miserable outside. It's nice in here. So have a flower for all the ladies as well. Be sure to grab one. Thank you guys for coming. Love you guys. Have a great week.